the ingredients healed my skin, but the culture healed my soul. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hi, my loves. Welcome back to the Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. Today, I am so excited to share this episode with you. It's probably one of my favorite interviews so far. We're talking about building a successful and meaningful business in the beauty industry with one of my role models, Vicky Sai. So Vicky Sai is the founder of Tatra, the luxury skincare line that is a celebration of classical Japanese beauty culture from Kyoto to San Francisco. After quitting corporate and selling everything she could, including her engagement ring, Vicky began Tatcha after a trip to Japan healed both her skin and her soul and as a way to share this healing with others. Vicky is also passionate about girls' education and this passion led to the creation of Beautiful Faces, Beautiful Futures, Tatcha's philanthropic program that works to fund girls' education around the world via the support of their clients, through which they have funded almost 4 million days of school to date. Hi, Vicky. Welcome to the Lavender Lifestyle. I am so excited to have you here. Like, I'm just honored that you wanted to come on our show. So thank you. Oh my gosh. No, the honor is mine. I love you. I love you too. You are just such a girl boss. You're, you're someone that <laughs> I look up to. I'm just so in awe of you and everything that you've created. So I guess let's start from your story. Oh. Why did you start Tatcha? I started Tatcha for the same reasons that you started Lavender. Like you... I tried a bunch of different things in my career, and everything was about building this pretty resume um, to make my parents proud and to be optically successful per mm -hmm. traditional metrics of success in the U.S., especially as the, the child of an immigrant family. And then I finally got to this point where I realized that if I'm going to spend the waking hours of my life working, if my work didn't have significance to me, then my life wouldn't have as much meaning to me personally at the end of the day. And so I got to this point where I was just like, I really need to figure out my life's purpose and then how I can infuse that into my work. So I did, you know, business jobs, Wall Street, business school, just stuff, big companies. Yeah. And one day I woke up and I was like, I choose happiness and I quit and started traveling because I needed to find myself. Mm -hmm. And then uh, at the time I had acute dermatitis and when I ended up in Japan and I'm not Japanese, I'm, I'm Taiwanese American, but I ended up in Japan and I ended up meeting geisha and studying very classical Japanese approaches to skincare and the ingredients healed my skin, but the culture healed my soul. And I felt like I needed to keep that in my life somehow. And I didn't know how to do it aside from creating this sort of conduit of goodness, just going back and forth between San Francisco and Kyoto. And that's, that's where it all ended up. Yeah. I mean, can you illustrate the timeline of all of this? How long were you working? How long was your travel period? And then, like, you know, after you came back from Japan, like, 
How, mm-hmm. what was, you know, did you decide to start Tatcha right away? What was that process? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm yeah. not great at timelines, but let's see if I can remember. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Just so we have a better picture of like how quickly or slowly this happened. Mm, it, it was slow, like molasses, mm, um, where the overnight success that. story that took a decade. <laughs> yeah. But let's see, I, I graduated um, college in 2000, and then I went and I worked on Wall Street for a few years. And then I went to business school, graduated business school in 2006. Wow. Um, and it was in business school that I was interning at one of the large global beauty companies and treated my skin like a science experiment mm. and then gave myself acute dermatitis. <gasps> oh, that's yeah, how you got it. Yeah. And oh. um, I blame myself. I, I put everything on my face um, as if, you know, there was nothing in it. And next thing you know, I have mm-hmm. bleeding and blistering and scaling <gasps> on my lips and my eyelids mm. for three years. And unless I use steroids and antibiotics every day, I can't keep it under control. And then after business school, I spent two years in um, a job that took me to Asia all the time. And it was during that time that I ended up flying through Japan and getting, while I was there, these blotting papers, which helped my skin because the only thing I could put on my skin by that time with the acute dermatitis was aquaphor, which is what like moms put on kids with diaper rash, but it does, it's really greasy. <laughs> I mean, it works beautifully, but it, it's really greasy. Yeah. yeah. And so I've I was just picking it, yeah. up these blotting papers because it was greasy. <laughs> and then, uh, then I was living in San Francisco after that, heading up the business team for a sustainability ratings company. There was these four scientists out of Berkeley who were trying to provide sustainability ratings to consumers long before, you know, it was something that was really top of mind for customers yet. And the first vertical that they wanted to launch ratings on was personal care. And they wanted to provide people the environmental health and social impact of personal care products. And so I learned the ins and outs of raw materials and packaging and ingredients and excipients and all sorts of stuff. And I thought, no wonder I ruined my face. (laughs) But then now I'm in my early 30s and I'm thinking about having my first child and I'm learning about how much penetrates through your skin every year that you use, you know, these products and um, the concept of bioaccumulation that these chemicals can load up in the body. And in addition to potentially affecting your own health, when you have a child, you're passing things over and that we're all kind of living science experiments. Mm -hmm. That is around the time that I quit and said, I choose happiness. So that was 2008. Mm -hmm. I ended up in Japan in 2008. And that's when I met the geisha for the first time, found the blotting papers Um, But I had no intention of starting a beauty care company or being an entrepreneur. I just wanted to be happy and do something that I believed in. But because the things that I was finding there were healing my skin, and then I couldn't find them in the U.S., and none of the the modern Japanese brands were doing any of this anymore, I started trying to figure out how to to create a steady supply for myself. Um, And then at that same time, everybody said, don't go into Japanese beauty. There's no interest in it. This is what people told me. They said Asian beauty is not aspirational in the US. Um, um, And they pointed out that SK2 and Shiseido, you know, really had not broken through in the same way as other brands that Shuyu Amora, you know, was no longer in the US. And they kept on just saying it's too exotic. It's too niche. I Mm. felt that that was an inherently racist statement. And I I will Mm. go on the record to say that. And um, it, it didn't really matter to me if there wasn't going to be a big audience for it. As an Asian woman myself, I'm not okay with someone saying that Asian beauty is not aspirational. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Uh, we There's a need for clean ingredients long before clean was even a term. 
Right. Like you actually knew about this way before. Because of my dermatitis and from working with scientists at Berkeley. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think because I have some skills from my business background that I can do it in a way where I can optimize the client experience, customer service, always put as much money as necessary into research and development and the quality of the product. And as long as you're Mm -hmm. not in a rush, then it works out. So I launched the blotting papers first um, in 2010. And it actually, they launched the day that I was in labor with my daughter. So both were born the same day. I I love that. (laughs) I called them my twins. And where did you launch on? What kind of platform or retailer? Uh, I launched on Tatcha.com in September of 2009. And then we launched into Space and K in store in January 2010. Um, And that landed the day that my daughter was born, which is why they both turned 10 a few weeks ago. congrats. (laughs) Thank you. And then at the same time, behind the scenes, I was interviewing scientists and was really lucky that I found some of the most well-respected skincare scientists in Japan who were willing to, you know, just give me their time and their effort and their talents. And so the first thing that we did was we created Tatcha Institute. We spent three years in R&D just looking at ingredients, um, sourcing things down to the same fields and the same seas where they first came from creating all of our formulas from scratch, like a couture dress, doing all of our clinical and consumer safety testing ourselves, yeah. all of the packaging ourselves from scratch, custom. And it, it took three years. And in three years later, we just launched four little products on Tatcha.com. And that sounds super expensive. <laughs> I it, mean, was. How, it was. Did you, how did you fund that? Was it through the business, through your savings or... I, I worked four jobs. Yeah. Um, so yeah. some were kind of sexy jobs, like consulting for big companies. And some of them were not sexy, like being the, the super for my building. And, and when people's toilets got clogged, they called me. Um, and so I worked four jobs. I cleared out my savings. I maxed out my credit cards. Um, I spent wow. down um, my husband's bonuses. Bless his heart. <laughs> you know, every time he made a dollar, he gave it to me. And I, I put it into Tatcha. And then from there, my parents, they cleared out their retirement savings to support me. Wow, that is um, a lot. I mean, that's amazing that everyone around you was so supportive, but also I'm so it's a lot of like pressure, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, <laughs> How did you know it was going to succeed? You, you know, never know. All of this investment into it. You never know. <laughs> wow. You have to believe and hope, but you never know. Mm-hmm. And what do you think kept you going, you know? Because you're so un- there's so many uncertainties. So like, why did you invest so much, or why did you keep going? Mm, our clients from the very beginning, um, especially because we didn't sell through stores initially. It was really through Tatcha.com, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was the first customer service person, and I'm still in the customer service team. Wow. When somebody gives you a stranger who you don't know, you've never met, comes up to you and says. I trust you. Will you take care of the face that I put out to the world? And then they tell you about their lives and they tell you about their lives because they know that their lives are affecting their health and their skin. It is such an honor. It's such an intimate relationship to have with people that even if the market was telling me I have no interest in this brand and retailers didn't want the brand and you know no PR agency would pick me up, I still have real people telling me that Um, it's changed their skin. It's changed the way it makes them feel about themselves. And having come from the beauty industry before that, I had a real problem with the way that the beauty industry was defining the terms of beauty to women. 
and telling us to that point that our self-worth is skin deep. And I have a daughter now. I also feel a responsibility of being in an industry and, and being different. Um, and so if Asian beauty isn't an aspiration, well, then I'm going to make it an aspiration. If, you know, yeah, it's just, oh my goodness. I love Maybe that. I'm an activist, you know, wrapped in a beauty entrepreneur, but well, it is what it is. Us up. You are, you're speaking up. Yeah. You're being an activist through beauty and skincare, which is really important to like all women. You know? It's important to all people, all people, because it's the, the face yeah. that we put out to the world. But when I was working you know, with those scientists before and with activists before, the best that they can do is, is tell you everything that was wrong. But they, they weren't, there weren't options to, to do what was right then. Because it was like, okay, I found out that all these formulas have things in them that could cause bioaccumulation of stuff that I don't want. And then I go to Whole Foods and I try all this other stuff and it's not terribly effective and it's sticky. Sometimes it burns. What, what options <laughs> yeah. do I have? So then as a mm -hmm. business person, I was like, well, I can create options. It's not, it's expensive and it's hard and it's risky, but it's not impossible. So that that's my form of activism is just providing options. <laughs> right. And I guess over this whole decade of building Tacho, what do you think most contributed to your success? What part of it? My team. I have, I think the best team in the world they are. At what point did you start branching out and like having, I guess you, you had a team from the start for mm -hmm. the research, yeah. right? So our, did you have a team on the other side as well? The business, everything, logistics? It, yes. Eventually the scientists okay. came first. So the scientists in our, our Japan team came first. And then even, even in San Francisco, my, you know, my first teammates were mm -hmm. Japanese um, because this is not my yeah. culture to misrepresent or to make a mistake on. So, you know, <laughs> team, the, our, the first employee was, was my nanny because she helped me pack mm. orders. And then, you know, three through 10, we're all either Japanese scientists or Japanese cultural advisors uh, or researchers. And they're still with us to this okay. day. And then after that, I started bringing in um, a president named Brad who led our fundraising um, and other, other pieces like that. But initially, everything was in Japan. Yeah. And how do you feel? I don't know if you've talked about this before somewhere else, but how do you feel as like a Taiwanese American person representing Japanese culture. Is that like tricky for you? Well, I try to make sure I'm really crystal clear with people that Tatcha is my way of sharing these amazing experiences and learnings that I have from Japan. And they're through my lens and my experience. Mm -hmm. And so while we have all Japanese scientists and, and you know Japanese culture advisors and Japanese marketers, you know, on the team here who are creating the foundation for the formulas and the stories that we share, they are also through my lens because I'm an outsider. And the, the thing that our Japanese customers tell us that makes my heart sing is that in Japan, they're so used to looking outside for inspiration that sometimes they forget how beautiful and amazing their own mm -hmm. culture is. And that it took an outsider to yeah. look at, what they're surrounded by, but have forgotten to say, gosh, do you know how beautiful and special and pure your culture is and how anybody in the world can benefit from it? Um, and so that's, I, I take that very seriously because culture, especially Japanese culture, very nuanced. Yeah. And I think that is actually so special, your perspective, because it is, it is true. You mentioned how in Japan, you can't even find products that are 
so, you know, coming from those like ancient techniques because they're yeah. so focused on modernizing. And I think Asia in general is kind of like that, you know, they're all focused on, oh, what are Western people using, Western products, this and that. But these are like thousands of years of, you know, products, you know, in Asia that people have been using for so long that, you know, they, they forget about because it's right there. Indeed, indeed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an Asian woman myself who spent a lot of time in Taiwan when I was growing up, I remember that even the Asian brands only used Caucasian models. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if, if you look at some of the um, the Japanese brands that still exist today but started a long time ago, I have so much respect for their technical expertise and their history. But they name their brands to sound French. Yeah. Because yeah, what popular. is foreign... Yeah, what is foreign is is kind of sexy. Yep. And my whole thing is, you know what? I think what has been around in Japan for hundreds of years, untouched, is sexy. Um, so I sort of think of Tatcha as you know Japanese on the inside, San Francisco on the mm-hmm. outside, but all in all human. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think it also amazes me how much thought you put into like why you built Tatcha, all these details. I, you've really thought oh, about all the angles you. and it's you're not doing this for money like there is so much no. meaning and layers of meaning behind it oh thank you so much well I think that our clients deserve nothing less yeah. I think that Japanese culture if it's going to be represented by an outsider needs to be done thoughtfully and with respect but you're right it was never about money and I'm really glad that you mentioned that because now that Tatcha has gotten to a certain size people reach out to me all the time about wanting to start a, a beauty brand And I'm thrilled to mentor and I'm thrilled to share what I've learned. Mm -hmm. But my first question is always, what is the objective? What what does success look like? And Mm -hmm. oftentimes, the very first thing that people will mention is money. The vast majority of startups fail. I'm not Mm going to quote a number because I don't exactly know the number. I've heard it to be around 95%. That's probably right. But I always burst their bubble really fast and say, yeah, there's definitely the Kylie's of the world who went from zero to huge overnight, but most of the brands are like me, meaning I was in my mom's Mm -hmm. garage without a salary for nine years. I moved out of my mom's house like the week before I turned 40. And that week I still had, even though we were one of the top five luxury skincare brands in the country at that point, I had duct tape on my car. Really? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's that, it's like it a, a, labor a true commitment. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> you know, you stand for something, you stand for nothing. So I encourage anybody and everybody who wants to start their own brand and start their own beauty brand to go for it. However, mm-hmm. I believe that what's going to get you up and through those hard days is because you have a purpose that's bigger than money. It has to be because mm-hmm. you you want to birth something into the world that is meaningful to you and to the clients. It can't be about money. It's not worth it for the money. It's because you, you know what you, you'll lose your life. I haven't I haven't gone to a wedding in ten years. I haven't seen friends in ten years. Like I have I have given my life to this. It's true. There are better ways to make money. Hi loves, let's take a break and talk about how to make 2020 your best year. As an artist of life, you have the power to envision and create the life you've always wanted. So as we enter a new decade, seize this opportunity to take action towards your dreams in 2020. To guide your year, I created the 2020 Artist of Life Workbook, a journal filled with 125 pages of questions and exercises to help you self-reflect, clarify your vision, set goals in all areas of your life, execute your goals, and track your progress 
monthly with sections on self-love, overcoming fear, habit tracking, gratitude journaling, and more. The Artist of Life workbook keeps you accountable and guides your growth throughout the year. It's a tool to keep you inspired, motivated, and organized, helping you live your best life. All the exercises within have personally helped me change my life for the better, and I'm confident that they'll do the same for you. To get started, go to shop.lavendaire.com to get your copy of the 2020 Artist of Life workbook. Again, that's shop.lavendaire.com. And something that I also really, really admire that you do is Tatcha's philanthropic program, Beautiful Faces, Beautiful Futures. Can you tell us about that? Because I don't think it's highlighted enough. Thank you. I struggled (laughs) with the idea of joining the beauty industry because I had come from the beauty industry and really did not agree with the way that it defined a woman's value. I'm having a daughter at the same time as thinking about joining this industry. And I thought, how can I participate in something that I think makes us often feel that we're not enough? And then people ask me all the time, you you spend all this time learning about Japanese culture, Japanese beauty, or even geisha. What have you learned? What's your best beauty secret that you've learned from them? And it's invariably that beauty begins in the heart and the mind. And so I thought, if I'm going to participate in this industry, I have to do it in a way that's Mm -hmm. purposeful and thoughtful. And so I started looking from the beginning for a nonprofit partner where we could build it into our cost of goods and have it become the DNA of the company where every single time a client gives herself or a friend the gift of beauty that she's also going to fund girls' education. It took me three years to land on Room to Read because I wanted to make sure whoever we partnered with was the best of the best. And so they are um, based in San Francisco, but they operate globally. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, and they are consistently ranked in the top 1% of nonprofits globally for their effectiveness and efficiency with capital. And um, they don't take it from a simplistic approach where it's just about libraries or just about books or just about literacy programs. It's a 360 approach to helping girls um, advocate for themselves, know rights over their bodies, get them through secondary education so that they have a chance to achieve their greater goals in life. They operate in 10 countries um, in this girls' education program. And on a, on a micro level, for every one of these girls, it is life-changing to be able to go to school. But at a macro level, it's also incredibly life-changing because statistically, if you educate a generation of girls, they can lift their entire community out of poverty in two generations. An educated girl is dangerous in the best way because she Mm -hmm. can change the world. And so at year three, after we found them, we entered into a forever partnership and the partnership is called Beautiful Faces, Beautiful Futures. And thanks to friends like you, um, we are coming up on 4 million days of school funded for girls around the world, including Africa and Southeast Asia. That is amazing. Like, I love that model so much. And I just love what you're doing because it's it's not just about making money. Again, it's about like, you know, we are spreading this like idea of like clean beauty, taking care of your skin, but also helping like girls all over the world. It's the most important thing to have purpose. Businesses have a moral obligation to take care of the communities where they operate. I I believe that with my whole heart. And we made those donations every single year, even though we were not profitable for the first eight years of our life. Mm, Um, And I didn't take a salary for nine years, but we never once considered not making that donation because you Mm -hmm. stand for something or you stand for nothing. 
Totally. At this point, I bet you're a super busy woman. I mean, running an international business, how do you split your time? Mm. Where do you spend the most of your time now? It has changed year by year. In the beginning, everything was about focusing on the formulas and the client experience. Then as we grew, you know, and I was CEO until a year ago, you tend to have to become more internally focused. So it's recruiting, it's a bigger office, it's making sure that you've got enough money in the bank to keep everything going, it's being a good retail partner. And so I sort of got split between formulas and client service, but then also building the company. And then I got to a point in year 10 where I thought my joy, my love, and my greatest value add to this company will always be with the formulas and the client experience. And so I got really lucky. I hired um, a team of executives who share my value system and share our vision for making this a company that is around for 100 years and has a serious impact in the world um, above and beyond capitalism. And so now they're taking care of the day-to-day operations of the company, and I focus 100% of my time on the culture of the company, the formulas, and the client experience. Amazing. And so what does a typical week look like for you? Hmm. I still travel a lot. So if I'm not traveling and I'm in San Francisco, I'm an early bird, so I'm probably up about 4.30. I like to meditate first to clear my mind. Then I get my daughter ready for school, and we get into the office. My husband and I still work together, and he's on the finance operations side. And I... My days are booked in the office back to back, um, probably 30-minute meetings from 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. without a break. And uh, it cuts across from being with our scientists to being with our graphic designers, merchandising designers, you know, um, onboarding our newest colleagues and teaching them about the culture of the company, um, spending time with our new leadership team and making sure that I'm there for them if they have any questions. Then I spend a bit of time on social media, reading through every comment. Um, Every email that somebody writes in info at Tatcha.com, I still read it. Um, (laughs) So I I do get about 500 emails a day. So there's a little bit of email time. Um, (laughs) And then (laughs) it is. And then (laughs) at the end of the day, our Japan team gets into the office Mm-hmm. So we catch up with them on the day, find out what they're working on, and then I ride home with my husband. And then I try to I try to transition out of work mode so that I can be present for my daughter and she can tell me about her day and her karate test before I fall asleep at like yeah. 8.30 like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because oh, yeah, you're an early bird. Wow, that's crazy. And then I imagine all of your previous experience before before starting Tatra has contributed to how well you're like how good you are at running a big company because you sound very productive and efficient. Is it from your corporate jobs before? I am really ruthless with my time. How did you learn that? And where does that come from? My husband and I were down at ground zero for 9-11 and we were 21 years old at the time. And it was a huge wake up call that time is a gift and that there are no guarantees that we will be around for 80 years. Um, Mm. And so I'm not in a rush. I, I'm big on savoring the moment and being present as best as I can. I struggle with it like everybody else. Yeah. But I am ruthless about mm. the efficiency of my time. And the second I feel like I'm wasting my time, I stop doing whatever I'm doing. I, I mm. will not waste my time. I think about all of the things that I potentially regret over a lifetime 
And I don't regret mistakes. I don't regret taking risks. I don't regret failures, but I do regret wasting time. Mm. What is an example of like how you get yourself out of wasting time? Do you not procrastinate? (laughs) I make lists every day that fall into four quadrants. One quadrant is urgent and important, which means that it's the most important thing that I have to get done today. The next thing is urgent, um, next quadrant, which means it needs to get done today, but it's not like mission critical. Um, the, the third quadrant is important. So like, don't forget about it. Get to it when you can. Um, and then the last one is other. And so I start off every day by making these four lists and I go through them methodically. And then when um, people ask me for their time or invite me to things, if I don't think that it's going to be in service to you know my greater purpose in life, I just won't do it. And so the average, hey, let's grab a drink or hey, can I pick your brain about X, Y, Z? I I just, I have no time. I have no time for that, (laughs) which is very understandable. (laughs) That is amazing. I think you could do a whole podcast on time efficiency (laughs) because that really inspires me too, that you're ruthless with your time. I think a lot of women are people pleasers and they don't know how to say no. And that's a whole other issue. It is, and I, I I struggle with that like anybody else, but I'm finding mm-hmm. that if we don't value our time, nobody else will. Um, and so yes. even things like meetings, I, uh, instead of having hour meetings, I try to block them for 45 to 50 minutes and it, come in with an agenda and leave with action items. And um, oftentimes in a meeting, I won't sit down. Mm, you're standing? You're just on the go? I'm, I'll stand. Yeah, because it it forces it forces everybody to think and act and discuss things with intention yes. rather than sort of just messing around. We're trying to change the world. Yeah, we're trying to send millions and millions and millions of girls to school. We have people who uh, are in their third round of chemo and yeah. their skin is is not what they want it to be, and we're trying to take care of them. Mm-hmm. We don't really have time to sit around and waste time yeah you got things to do places to be people to see (laughs) exactly yeah so what is your personal self-care routine do you have like yeah self-care and also I want to know skincare Mm, well to me skincare is self-care and so like anybody I'm busy like everybody else I I buy my Tatcha collection and so I probably only spend like two minutes in the morning and two minutes at night on my skin but I turn it into yeah and I never do more than a few steps Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm turning it into a ritual of self-care. So for example, at night when I go home, the first thing that I do is take off my makeup with the cleansing oil, the Camila cleansing oil. Mm -hmm. And while it's melting the makeup, I envision the things that happened over the course of the day that might've stuck like a burr in my side, something Mm -hmm. that somebody said, um, something that I, I messed up and I imagine it melting away and I wash it away from me. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I oil cleanse every day too. And I love your cleansing oil. So I'm going to start doing that. You bring bring a little intention to it. Um, The next step that I do is the the rice polish, um, which Mm -hmm. is really, oh, thank you. (laughs) Gorgeous skin. It's a, it's a very gentle enzymatic exfoliant that literally gets rid of your dead skin cells and brings new cells to the surface. And so when I'm doing that one, I think about how we all expect and hope that we'll be perfect, but that's never going to be the case. Um, and so I, I think while I'm doing that step about how, no matter how imperfect I felt that day, how you can always begin again. And every moment is an opportunity mm-hmm. to begin again. Um, 
Then the third step is the essence where it's deeply plumping and hydrating. It like, increases the hydration of your skin by 150% instantly, 148. But in that few seconds that it takes to absorb into the skin, I think about um, refilling my well because we spend so much time, especially as women, taking care of everybody else around us that we can deplete ourselves spiritually, emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so in that time when I'm literally replenishing the water reservoir of my skin, I think about refilling my energy well. Um, and wow. then finally, the last step is a moisturizer. And the purpose of a moisturizer is to seal in the goodness and sort of cocoon your skin in a layer of moisture. And I think about the fact that as human beings, we're deeply social animals and how it's um, painful to feel alone. And sometimes even with your, when you're with people all the day, you can still feel lonely, like water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And so when I'm putting on my moisturizer, I take a moment to think about the people who surround me, who support me, who give me love. And I envision myself cocooned in their support and love. And I remind myself that I'm not alone, even when I'm lonely. Um, and then, so after two minutes of that, I'm ready for bed. My skin is, you know, all set, but I also feel reset internally. That is the most intentional skincare routine I've ever heard in my life. And thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I just, I want to share that to everyone in the world. That was just so smart. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right, Vicky. Now I have some rapid fire questions that I like to ask all of our guests at the end of the show. Ready. So the first one is, what does your dream life look like? I'd like to be fully present for the people in my life who I love and who I count on. So that's my husband, my family, my daughter, my friends. And so my, my perfect life, my dream life is really having enough time and presence and mental energy to give to them. And then also, um, I love working. I'm a workaholic. And um, I, my perfect life is one where I'm continuing to work until there's nothing left in me to make an impact in the world and leave it in a better place than when I got here. Love it. What is one book or resource that you recommend to everybody? Shoe Dog. It is the autobiography of Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Especially if you're an entrepreneur, it is um, a fabulously well-written book, but it is also a great story of resilience. It's a great adventure. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. What is one habit that has changed your life? Going to bed early. And you go to bed around, you said eight? I'm in bed by eight. I'm asleep by 8.30. Wow. What's the best life or career advice that you've ever gotten? Optimize for your happiness. Don't optimize for what other people think. Mm, yep. And finish the sentence. The most amazing part about life is? Human connection. I agree. Where can we find you online, Vicky? Tatcha.com. <laughs> tatcha.com everybody follow tatcha check out their products and thank you so much vicky for being here i so appreciate your time because time is important to you and all of us honestly so thank you thank you and before we go i would love to thank you for being a role model to young women out there especially asian american young women um, when i was growing up i wish that there were more of you and I love what you're doing and I love the stories that you're sharing. So keep it up. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. And I agree. When I was growing up, I didn't have Asian women to look up to. I mean, I maybe a couple, Lucy Liu or something on in media, but yeah, times are changing, you know? Mm -hmm. Thanks to people like you. And you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have right. a great one. You too. Thanks. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Vicky Sai is a gem and I support Tatra all the way. I love their brand. I love what they stand for and their high quality products. So I just want to wrap up with some key takeaways from our conversation. The first takeaway is on Vicky's journey and her search for meaning and purpose. So Vicky was working corporate for a while and then she came to a point where she decided she had to prioritize her own happiness and well-being. And also she wanted to do something that matters, something that changed the world for the better. That led her to travel to Japan where she healed her skin, healed her soul, and then that was the catalyst to starting Tatcha. And this is just a reminder to any of you out there who are living a life doing something that you don't feel aligned to because there's always something that you could be doing that feels more aligned to your soul, something that feels more fulfilling, more meaningful to you and don't settle until you find it. I'm all about that. I'm all about living a meaningful, fulfilling life. And I'm just so grateful that Vicky's journey illustrated how you can follow that calling in you and become really, really successful at it. The next takeaway is the reality that being an entrepreneur is risky, plus it takes time. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Vicky invested so heavily into the beginning stages of Tatcha. She paid for researchers to really get the formula right. She focused on creating a good product. She had the support of everyone around her, her husband, her parents' retirement fund even, and she didn't even know if it was going to work. That is taking a big risk. Plus, she wasn't taking a salary for nine years and Tatcha wasn't profitable for years as they were scaling it up. And that just shows you how much time and money goes into investing into your business, building it and giving it all that you got, giving your business the best chance it has to succeed. And it all paid off, but that just shows you that it is not an easy journey and she really, really had to commit. Another thing I love that Vicky shared was that she is ruthless with her time. I mean, she's running an international business with hundreds of employees, so this woman is a busy woman. So she talks about how she organizes her tasks into four lists, and if you watch Lavender, you know that I've talked about this before. It's called the Eisenhower Matrix, but you organize your tasks into things that are urgent and important, things that are urgent and not important, important but not urgent, and then other. And with the system, she makes sure that she does not waste time. She spends time doing the very important things that are aligned to her mission, aligned to her purpose. And even when she's taking meetings, she's like standing up. So the energy is like on the go. People are not like lagging behind or slacking off. And I really love that about her because it really shows that you need to be on top of your game to run a company like that. The final takeaway that I absolutely loved is how intentional Vicky is with her skincare. She is doing visualizations and setting intentions as she's doing her skincare, from cleansing to exfoliating to putting on serum, then moisturizer. Each step is connected to an intention that you want to set, something you want to remind yourself. And so as she's taking care of her skin on the outside, she's also taking care of her mind and her soul on the inside. And she does it in a couple minutes every day. And that is just so amazing that you can take any small thing, any small part of your day and infuse intention into it, making it work for you. It's kind of like, like supercharging 
using your actions so that they're like, I don't know, like a superpower or something. So that was so cool. And I'm definitely going to start doing that. All right. I had so much fun with you guys today, sending you so much love and I will talk to you next time. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Sending you so much love. Bye.